All right, before we start, or before we continue, the Gemara Brachas, for those of us who have Gemaras, we are up to, we are up to page 32A3, Daflamid Bey's Amadalaf, but again in the art scroll A3, I would like to just share a couple of thoughts regarding current events. <clears throat> um, you know, many people... All people emotionally react differently from others. That's the way God made us. We think differently, and therefore we feel very differently. Um, as a as a someone who lived in Brazil for many years, Bechlal, unfortunately, to the continuous relative lawlessness, I'm accustomed to living in a lawless environment. But for an American, I can imagine that some people might be experiencing a certain amount of of fear, v'chulei. And uh, these are my thoughts. Firstly, I think that if if conditions will permit, as I'll define in a moment, now is the best time to reopen up our shul. B'chlal, many shuls are already open. I know that the opening of shuls is on a new, more limited level. But that's the world we live in currently. Some shuls are not open at all. Um, our shul, Sol, is not yet opened at all. And just to explain the rationale, that as the legalities of opening up shuls and Lahavdal churches became a reality sometime last week, and therefore many groups are starting to gather, the local hospitals will inform us, as they are informing us daily, whether that is causing some sort of uptick in the spread of COVID. God forbid. Obviously, the hope is that it will not. Now, that local underground data is very prudent in, in waiting just a little bit longer to find out more, as they say, more from the facts on the ground, and then to open up accordingly. Bechlal, we plan to open up in the beginning only outdoors, not even using the outdoors in Sola, even though Sola has an outdoors, but we plan to use the outdoors in Aden. We have to hammer out some details, but Baruch Hashem, the outdoors there is substantially large. And as time goes on, and for example, I was in touch today with Cedars, I was in touch yesterday with Cedars, and what we're looking for, we're looking not to find, but what we're looking for is to see whether, God forbid, any of uh, the religious community, the Yiddish community that went to shul over Shavuos, if there is an uptick in them going into Cedars or, God forbid, to Kaisers because they feel the symptoms of COVID. And as time goes on, and hopefully, this is what we're hoping for, there won't be any uptick. That will be the proof that gathering in a shul does not cause the spread of the illness. Obviously, when people take all the precautions, as the city government put out, as the CDC put out, as the Rabbanim strongly advocate, as we will for people to adhere to, then when we, we know that as a fact that there was not an uptick, then we have a lot more confidence, even when we err on the side of caution, to open up the shul. Now, the, the, the time that, that is really needed to study whether it caused or got, or hopefully did not cause any uptick is two weeks, 14 days. Being that people began to congregate already last week, Wednesday, Thursday. So really, two weeks will be up in a week from two days from now. The end of next week. 
And indeed, we plan, unless, God forbid, we have very negative news from the local hospitals, we plan to open properly next Shabbos. However, we don't want to open from nothing to something. We want to open up in a gradual way. And especially because of this tremendous amount of lawlessness that we have amongst us. So again, we'll, we'll make a final decision as we get closer to, but we are aiming to open Sunday. That means this upcoming Sunday, we're speaking about the daily morning, the daily afternoon minyanim. People will have to register, etc. But I think is that when we live in a society that somehow condones lawlessness, that condones the opposite of seder, the, the response to that is to advocate lawfulness, to advocate seder, and part of order for a yid is going to shul. It's part of our proper, organized, daily schedule. This doesn't even only have to be for men. Um, It's becoming more and more common that women go to shul. I think it also makes an important statement that will bring calm to the to some of the people that feel a little bit uncomfortable or some people are actually scared. I think then when our community, when the Yiddish community goes on, obviously if it's going to be safe, and that's what we're hoping for, that by then the law and order will get their act together and they will actually do what they are what they are meant to do, which is to bring a law and order on our streets. Then this is just just to open up that God willing we are planning to opening up on Sunday morning and evening, and by Shabbos we'll already have the flow better. Uh, we'll be more familiar with the with the potential challenges, and we'll have everything in place accordingly. So that's that. Just the words of introduction. I myself am very excited with these ideas. I think it definitely brings about a certain calm by knowing that we're going back to our proper organized daily schedule. Also, just to make a point out the beautiful Avas Yisrael that we are all experiencing, when neighbors have a certain common fear, it's sad that, it, that it's only fear that brings people together, but fear also brings people together. There is a lot of unity. I can speak about for my whole block, that Yidin and Goyim, that we are all together and we are in touch with each other. And it's very, it's good. It's a, it's a good idea for you to get to know your neighbor better because it's a numbers game. The peoples that are creating this chaos are teenagers in, mo- in the vast majority of the cases. They're not trained. They're stum- they, are, they are witnessing that it's free for all. So if it's free for all, and sadly, if they didn't have a father or a mother that gave them a proper chinuch, there's a tremendous amount of theft and vandalism going on. But they are afraid if a group of larger number confronts them, then they run away. I know that the fact is that two nights ago, not in the Pico Robertson neighborhood, but in another Jewish neighborhood. Someone saw on their cameras a bunch of young teenagers going into the backyard. And he already had a block WhatsApp. He called his neighbors. No arms. It was just a confrontation. Many people came to the aid of the homeowner. And when they saw so many people rushing the house, they ran away. I'm not giving advice of how to protect your home. I'm just, I just want to emphasize the beauty of people sticking together and the importance of looking at the upside of chaos, and that is, is that there is a, a tremendous amount of unity, and God willing, if we'll go through with our plans, so I think it will be a beautiful a response from, the, from our community against any act of violence, which all of them need to be condemned, is that we are pro-lawfulness, we are pro-order, and part of that is 
davening in a shul with a minion. Connecting to God, beginning the day and ending our day, acknowledging God, thanking God, asking of God, doing so in an organized fashion, doing so in a legal fashion, following all of the rules of the CDC. Everything that we will be doing is the positive response to the mshugas, to the chaos, and to the tragic lawlessness that we are witnessing in America. Again, I personally have seen this in Brazil, so I'm more familiar with it. And uh, wishing everyone here and all of us that we should all have Hashem's protection. We should do what we could to keep ourselves safer. And But we begin and end with knowing that there is a God in the world and God is watching over all of us. And especially as we connect to God better, without doubt, without doubt, that Hashem is, is going to protect each and every one of you and of us. Amen. All right. So having said all that, let us start where we left off. We're learning about a very unusual level of tefillah. We, we are learning about a prayer in which the person who's davening is not going in with an attitude, well, I'm going to ask God and God can say no. No, that's not the attitude of the prayer that we are learning about right now. We are learning about an attitude in where the, this is a kosher protest, non-violent protest, in where, in our case, Moshe Rabbeinu representing the Jewish people. The Jewish people were collectively condemned to pass away in the desert. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't praying for God to change that decree. Moshe Rabbeinu knew how to talk to God on such a level where he was not going to let go until God acquiesced to him. Ke'ilu, he harassed God. Now again, none of this means that God is bound by anyone. Well, there's different ways of responding to that. The point is, Moshe Rabbeinu's attitude. This is a legal protest that ultimately we protest with God because God is the Almighty and the All-Powerful. And we don't do it in any other way than having a very deep prayer and insisting that it has to be different, which is really the prayer that we all are obligated to do when it comes to the Golos. And we're not davening for the Gaula only because there are, there are riots on the streets. That also... It's important for us to daven for the Geula with the same passion even when everything seems to me and to you to be uh, perfect. Begashmias uberuchnias. We are living in the dungeon for so many thousands of years that we don't know that there's a real world out there. And that's the world of Mashiach which is awaiting to happen. And part of it happening has to do with the way we approach it, with the way we daven for it. So let's learn. So the Gemara says we are in 32A3. We are in the, on, the, on the right, on the most right, on the rightmost column, in the middle of the column. Vayichal Moshe Spenei Hashem The word Vayichal is a very unusual word used in prayer. Actually, on every fast day, when we read from the Torah, when there is a minion, this is the part that we read of Vayichal. Now Vayichal literally means that he pleaded or he entreated but normally we don't use these words, right? Vayispalel. Vayispalel is normally the word for prayer. So this unusual vayichal is hinting to another layer of meaning. Amar Abulazar, Melamed, this teaches us that Sha'amad Moshe Betfila Lefneyakodesh Borchu, that Moshe Rabbeinu stood in front of God in prayer, right? Until he harassed him. Mamish. In other words, like we learned in the two, two weeks ago, last week we spoke about Shavuos, that he, so to say, grabbed onto God's garments. In other words, he, he, he took an approach that he began to harass God. Until God gave in, he acquiesced. He didn't want to be harassed by Moshe. Again, it's not that God was trapped, 
But this attitude is what brought about within Hashem the desire indeed to forgive us. Rava says, I'll tell you more than that. God made a vow, imagine, God made a vow and an oath that He will destroy us then. So Moshe Rabbeinu tells God that in the Torah it says that a rabbi or a Bezdin, but if one is an expert, one person on his own has the power to nullify an oath. So says Moshe to God, I will nullify your oath. If you made an oath, I'm nullifying your oath. And that's the meaning of Vayichal. See, the word Vayichal also comes from the word Chulin. There's Kedusha and there's Chulin. Chulin means mundane. When you make a vow, it's like holy. You're bound to whatever it is that you said that you will or that you will not do. And for you to free yourself up from the vow, for that activity or lack of, it's not holy anymore. You have to make it Chulin again. So that's Vayichal, that Moshe Rabbeinu nullified God, God's vows, and the Gemara proves that we find elsewhere in the Torah that the word Chulin is used in the context of a vow, where it says, Lo yachel That's in the portion of Matos, where God is telling us that if you make a neder, make sure that you do not profane. See, Chulin, profane is not a negative. Chulin is more not Kedusha. Don't, don't, don't take your words unholied. Lo yachal devarim. And indeed the sages tell us that if I make a vow, I am never able to nullify my own vow. Even God, God is the biggest rough. If, if you can nullify a vow, then why didn't God nullify his own vow? You cannot do that. You can never nullify your own vow. But someone else can do it for him. And indeed... Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Eden, the Yishalaylam, we're turning the page, 32a5, the Vanim Shamarta li leich emor lohem, right? He tells God that the words, I'm sorry, I skipped the line, v'amar mar, who, and yeah, good, you cannot nullify your own vow, but you can nullify, you can nullify the vow of others, aha, uh-huh. Okay, guys, 32A4. I turned the wrong page. We're not turning the page. We're just going to the left side. 32A4. Shmuel says, Melamed, it teaches us, Shemosar Atzmai Lemisalem. That Moshe Rabbeinu literally risked his very own life. Vaychal comes from the word a cholol. A cholol is the name of a corpse. Moshe Rabbeinu knew that he's playing with fire. That his protesting can cause a divine, not positive reaction. And that not positive reaction were to happen to Moshe first. He sided so much with the people that God could have indeed kept him with the people. At that moment, the people were condemned to pass away and so could it have been for Moshe. Moshe was willing and ready by Chal to become a corpse himself. And we find this explicitly that later he tells God that and if you won't forgive them, erase me from your book. Now, erasing oneself from the book, Moshe Rabbeinu literally meant take my name out of the Torah. But truth be told that everything that happens in the world is only happening because it is in the Torah. So if something gets erased from the Torah, it gets erased from the world. And Moshe Rabbeinu knew that, that his name getting erased from the Torah would result in his passing away. And he was willing to give up his life to save the Eden. Wow. Furthermore, another interpretation, Amar Ava, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, this comes to teach you that that, Hashem, that Moshe Rabbeinu caused 
for the attribute of Rachmim to come and to rest upon them. And the word Vayichau, which, which also means, it comes from the word of resting, that he brought about for the resting of Midas Rachamim. Okay. V'nabanan Amri. Other sages interpret the same word. That Malamid that comes to teach you, Sha'amar, Moshe Lefniakadish Baruch, that Moshe told God Almighty, that master of the world, he challenged God, if you will indeed kill the Yidin in the Midbar, it's sacrilegious. You're going to do an act. You, God, will make a Chilol Hashem. I want you to know that this expression was used many times over by Tzadikim in the prior generations when there was rampant anti Semitism. And the Yidin were partially getting killed. So many of our tzaddikim told God that you are bound by the Torah. We are not allowed to make a chilol Hashem. You, God, cannot make a chilol Hashem. They learned that from Moshe. Because whenever there is negative things happening to the Jewish people, it reflects bad on God. God becomes chulen. Because God is almighty. Why doesn't God protect His people? And everyone knows that we are God's people. So this was the argument that he told God, if you will kill them, then you are making a chilol Hashem, which you may not. Furthermore, right? So we learned in Abraisa, Rabbi Yezer, Hagad Loimer, Malami, this comes to teach you, that Moshe Rabbeinu stood and davened, until Moshe was seized with Achilu. What is Achilu? asks the Gemara. So the Gemara says, it's some sort of sensation that your bones are on fire. Wow. In other words, it's an illness. He became ill. What's the Gemara saying? What's Eishel Atzomais? So, so Abayi interprets, this is some sort of, this is some sort of a bone disease, right? A marrow disease. Um, it's a horrible feeling. My Shadabenu physically became ill in his deep level of prayer. Gavaldik. I think this Gemara definitely should be looked into in the context of the Rebbe Sicha, when he says that we have to do what we could to bring about Mashiach. I think there is some secret here of how to approach God. Even as a Yachad, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't even davening with a minion, but using these sorts of arguments, which already has a precedent of it affecting the, 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 our, our desired effect, which was then of the Yidin not getting killed, I think if we use this properly, if we figure out how to apply it, and it's not that difficult to figure out, then, uh, then we will succeed. And we're going to succeed, Chavir, because Moshiach indeed is about to come and he'll bring the law and order back, not only to our neighborhood, but to the whole world. Okay. One more shtickle. Says the Gemara that Moshe Rabbeinu now adds... And he says, Remember, for the sake of our patriarchs, that which you swore to them, to whom you swore, by yourself. What does that mean? What's Bach? So says Rabbi Lazar, that Moshe Rabbeinu said to God, Right? If you would have sworn, by the heavens and the earth. I would have said that if you would have said, I swear by heavens and earth that your descendants will have the land of Israel. Then you can argue that since eventually the heavens and the earth, there will be a collapse of the universe after a certain amount of time. So your oath can also collapse. 
But since you swore to our patriarchs by your own name, God swore by his own godly name, God will never cease to be. Now that you swore in your own name, so Ma Shimcha Hagadol, just like your great name, Chai Vekayim lives and endures. Forever and ever, so like your oath of the descendants of Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov going into Israel. That they that this this is something that endures forever, and therefore you are bound. You are bound by the oath. Now we did learn two weeks ago that God told Moshe Rabbeinu, "I'm going to kill the Eden in the desert, but you Moses, you will live." And Moshe Rabbeinu is a descendant of the patriarchs, so God's oath would have indeed endured. But here we are adding what we learned today is that Moshe Rabbeinu nudged God so much, he entreated God so much that there was a possibility that God also would have taken his life away. Or everyone would have passed away in the desert. And if indeed everyone would have passed away in the desert, then God's oath would not, would not have been fulfilled. And that's something that's unacceptable because God swore not by something earthly, even heavens and earth. God swore or swore by his own name. All of these are additional arguments that Moshe Rabbeinu was using in which he successfully, he successfully God, God, caused that Hashem should forgive the Jewish people. So I want to stop over here in the Gemara and ask the, the million dollar question. Again, these are the questions that should be asked, that the question is many times better than the answer. And uh, even after the answer, you ask the question again. And my question is, how, how is it possible that a human being has the koyach of changing God's mind? Hashem wanted to annihilate everyone in the desert other than Moshe. How how was it? What did Moshe, How how did he change God's mind? Very simple. How does that work? God is God. What new info did Moshe Rabbeinu add that God says, Ah, I'll I'll let them live. He told God, "You're making a chilul Hashem." God did not know that on his own. How does this work? Who can suggest a, a, a approach? Someone. God wants us to try. He doesn't want to play the game on his own. So he knows what's going to happen, but it has to come from us, just like Mashiach. Like, obviously, he knows what's going to happen, and he can make it happen, but it has to come from us. Okay, so did, uh, did Hashem really want to annihilate all the Eden or, or not? Or did God not want to do it, but he wanted for that for that not happening to happen because of Moshe? No, did Moshe Rabbeinu really change anything? Was the answer has to be yes, because then what's the point of any of our actions? In other words, that God from Milachatchila already had in mind that if we won't daven, then Option A will happen. If we will daven, option B will happen. If we'll daven very strong like this, then option C will happen. So it was already all in the in the plan, and we were just picking what option is that the shot over here, which would all mean that we didn't change anything. Right. Maybe there can be more than one possibility. Correct. And if- anyone, anyone wants to add a, a different approach or add something to this approach? 
this, this is the big, these are the big questions on tefillah. Someone is ill. What, just because you daven, God will heal that person? Or you think the person is ill by accident? There's a reason for that. How, did that, how was that reason resolved? Like, what happened? So you say, no, God made the person will only if no one will daven. If someone will daven, then that person won't get, won't get ill. So, so the one who's davening is, is really not accomplishing anything. He's not creating in God a new desire. He's just, he's just playing out option B. Is that what you're saying? It can be a new will. No, 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 no. You're saying that it was a will. It was ready. God always wanted for Maisha to daven. That was God's will. It's not a new will. It's like, what happens if you build a house and you have two doors? Behind one door is one world. Behind the other door is another world. And God says, you pick your door. Right? So the guy who's picking the door is not creating a new world at all. All that's, all that's happening is that he's choosing what door to go into. That means, lechatchila God... If you're not going to daven, people are going to die. If someone is going to really daven, then they'll live. God wanted, God already created both of both of the outcomes, and now we are picking which door we're going through. Is that shot? No, but God created a world because He was lonely. So obviously, something He needs us for something. It doesn't mean that we change His mind, but He's not going to run the world on its own. Do we have the power to change God's mind? I, Rabbi? Yes. Is the question the way or is my uh, Oh, there's no doubt, Rami, that the Gemara is telling all of this to us is because there's something for us to learn from it. Not that we are Moshe-like, but like the Alter Rebbe says, there is a spark of Moshe within each and every one of us. And we're learning this not to learn about history, not to learn about the greatness of someone else. This for sure, whatever it is that Moshe Rabbeinu did, we have that within us. Because there's a piece of Moshe within us. That's the Hasidic approach to that. So, But let's go back to Moshe. Did Moshe Rabbeinu change God's mind? Or Lechatchila, God had various options. The non-prayer option and the prayer option. What do you think? I'm sorry, I, I can't chime in. I got disconnected, so I missed what you said earlier. Uh huh. No, I, I'm just, I'm just reiterating. Again, is is are do we? Let's go to Moshe and the Moshe within us. Do we have the power to really change anything or are we just um, determining which door will the history go through? But all of the doors were already preset by God from the beginning. We have the power to change. So how do you, how do you explain that? that we, in other words, that there was something that was not in God's plan. That's change. God did not plan that. Which is really what the Gemara said. God planned to kill us. Not us, meaning our grandparents. That was the plan. And and we, we Moshe Rabbeinu, op- Rabbi, he created... Sorry, sorry, Rabbi. Yes. To everyone that's on, they sent out an Amber Alert, and once the Amber Alert gets sent out, then your volume gets zapped. You have to get off Zoom, or at least that's what I did, and then get back, back onto Zoom. So, Baylor, if you can't hear, just 
just zap out of Zoom and then get back on. Okay, okay, I'm doing just that. 